Hi there, welcome to the Chattering Hour. I'm joined today by Eileen Dietz, and we talk about how she got her start in the theatre, working with Anthony Perkins on the off-Broadway production of Steam Bath. Her role in the independent film The Diary of David Holtzman, which fortunately her father didn't get to see. And of course, we talk about The Exorcist, and she assures me she tells a story she's never told before. All that and much more up next on The Chattering Hour with Eileen Dietz. Eileen Dietz's career spans over 50 years and 116 roles to date. After The Exorcist, she went on to appear in TV series such as General Hospital and The Planet of the Apes. She's also starred and appeared in many independent horror films. Her autobiography is titled Exorcising My Demons. Eileen, thank you so very much for joining me here today. It's my pleasure. Good. Now, I want to take us right back to the very beginning, if I may. So you were born in New York City. What was your childhood like? Um, (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Um, I'm actually a twin um, who has nothing to do in the business. Um, But she sadly got crippled when she was little. And so instead of being a twin, I kind of became a middle child. And I have an older sister who is the princess. And naturally, my twin sister needed a lot of attention. So I became that proverbial middle child, (laughs) which is probably why I'm an actor today, because nobody paid any attention to me. It was like, look at me, look at me. It's really interesting because I come from a family of three. My younger brother, the next brother down, he had three kids as well. And I remember my mum talking about the middle child syndrome um you know because it's, it, it's real it's very good because i mean the eldest i mean, it was like in your family i'm the eldest and it's like okay you're the eldest you have to behave responsibly and then there's the middle child and there's, oh, who's that i, I was <laughs> who's that i was the, the, and then i thought because the third one comes along they're the youngest they all get always get oh they're the attention. little baby and yeah. they'll always be the little baby but yeah. you know it worked out it probably you know i was a real independent kid real feisty like like i'm not now but <laughs> I was extremely independent i didn't care what anybody thought or said i had a bad mouth as a child i was always punished but um you know i I always want. I just remember wanting to be an actress from the time I was seven. Really? And, um, yeah, and um, my mother, my parents didn't approve of it. But then my father was in the modeling business. He was sleeping with his models. I found out much, much later. Right. Um, and so I think he, he, I know, he always thought that I couldn't be successful unless I slept around too. They just, and they didn't want me to be hurt and stuff, but I didn't care. You know, that was my thing. And, was, and were you watching films as a kid? 
Well, the first thing I mean, that I totally remember is my mother took us to see Peter Pan and in a, in a huge snowstorm. This is all in my book, by the way. <laughs> but um, there's a huge snowstorm. And we were sitting in the balcony. And I totally remember this. I thought that if I jump on the stage, I can be one of the little lost boys. And then I can be an actress. And then I thought, what if I miss the stage <laughs> and end up in the audience? And I said, that's not going to work. And promptly fell asleep. <laughs> I, I not realize, and your book, Exercising Your Demons, we'll come to much uh, later okay. on. Um, after we had kind of caught up about exorcist, but so, what was your first acting job then? Actually, what would have been my first acting job is I, I wanted to go to summer stock, and I didn't know how to do that, so I just took a whole bunch of Kodak pictures, you know, little brownie cameras they used to have then, and I just sent it out to summer stock companies. But then I got accepted into one, but my parents wouldn't let me go because they thought that they, the producer director only wanted me to come out there because of the sibling, you know, badly. So my first real acting job, actually, that came true. That was my Me Too experience. And I went out to Michigan, to Kalamazoo, and he promised me all these parts. And, you know, I should have known then. <laughs> But he promised me the leads and all these parts and everything. And I told everybody in New York, wow, I'm going to be a professional, blah, blah, blah. And he got me out there, immediately took me into his office and um, started trying to unbutton my blouse and mess up my hair. It was horrible. And to make it worse, <laughs> he backed up to get a drink and he almost put his eye out on the shelf. And he started screaming like a stuck pig. With that, the entire company came in to see what was happening, including it happened to be Adrian Barbeau, but I didn't know it was Adrian Barbeau at the time. And they all saw me sitting there all rumpled up and, you know, with my hair a mess. So God knows what they thought. Um, but they didn't think I was innocent. And it went on like that. And I didn't have any parts in the show. Uh, I had one part in Camelot where I said, I intend to be a knight a night at the round table <laughs> and eventually he fired me because he didn't get what he wanted How after old? he ruled me for a little girl who was gay. <laughs> and there was a hole. I can write a whole book about that. There was a hole in the, in the wall so he could look at us, but I did find out that I wasn't gay. Um, and then I, he fired me. And as um, the wonderful author of my book, he said, I'm go was riding home in a bus. What was I going to tell everybody in New York? I looked down in my hand. I had my equity card. I was a professional actress. So that was the beginning and end of that story. <laughs> wow. How old how old would you have been? I was I was I think I was just, just turned 18. It was before the exorcist. Right. You so you trained at the neighborhood playhouse, is that right? Well, I did. I, you know, I was a teenager. And, um, you know, it wasn't much. <laughs> Here I go again. The, the teacher just paid all his attention to this really pretty girl who had boobs. <laughs> and he cast me in this little part in Dark of the Moon, uh, which is a great play, by the way. Um, so I don't know why. I just had all these Me Too experiences. <laughs> but, you know, 
I felt like I was a real actress, but I didn't tell anybody because they all made fun of me if I said I wanted to be an actress. I was like five foot, not four foot, nothing, and buck tooth, flat chested. Like, you know, it looked anything like what a real actress would look like. So I didn't tell anybody. It was my secret fantasy on Saturdays. It was kind of cool. Oh, okay. Because you went on to do what some people consider to be an incredibly important independent film, uh, David Holtzman's Diary. How did that come about? Oh, gosh. I don't remember, really. I don't don't remember. Did I audition for it? Did someone, I think someone just recommended me for it, because I don't remember auditioning for it. And it was a great experience, you know, to this day, it's a great experience. Yeah. And that film is taught. It became like this artistic thing. And it's taught in schools all over the country. So what was your, because there was nudity. Say what? There was nudity. You had nudity in that film, right, and thinking. (laughs) I got a story about that, too. Go on. I didn't want to shoot it. And, but the whole crew was standing around and standing around and they said, well, if you're sleeping, you have to be new. And I said, there was so much peer pressure. And I said, okay, nobody's ever going to see it. <laughs> I'm riding on a bus down Fifth Avenue, <laughs> reading Life magazine. There's my picture, the nude one. It's kind of dark and in shadows. And they didn't mention my name, but there I was running. What happens is I'm sleeping and David Holtzman is um, taking, uh, he wants to put his life on tape. So he can go backwards and forwards. And he broke the fourth wall, which is why the film is so memorable today. He's talking to the audience. I think it was the first time anybody did that. So he's filming me sleeping. And that's when I jump up, run to him and grab the camera. So that's the picture in Life magazine. I went, oh, shit, my father's going to see this. <laughs> but he didn't. Right, right. Because there's a, there's a really interesting article in The New Yorker. All about the importance and. and I'm sorry. Uh, uh, keep, keep talking a little louder for me because you're sure. very hoarse. Oh, I am very hoarse, and I yeah, I will move the um, I'll move the microphone closer to my mouth. That will help as and well. You guys just speak British, which is a foreign language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, when but, I go to London, I swear to God, I got to get people to slow down, and because you don't, most Brits don't move their lips when they talk. You do, but many don't. And oh, so yeah, I yeah, forward. yeah, particularly in London, yeah, because it's the Cockney accent, and you do a Cockney accent, you don't actually move your mouth, yeah, it's, like it's, it's locked jaw, yes, and yeah, when no, you're I'm, studying dialects, that's what you pick up, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I, I haven't seen the film, but it looks fascinating. I mean, there is a sequence where he literally films, um, what he's watching on TV that night. I'm thinking, Chris Rowe, Chris Rowe will love it because it's. Uh, all about one of the Star Trek episodes. Um, where, <laughs> and he basically right. compresses three hours of TV into two or three I don't minutes. think I want Chris Rowe to see me nude, though. <laughs> and that's a fair point. I, I, <laughs> it's so I, dark, though. It's so, well, I don't know. It, it's not. But, you know, if he wants to see it, it's out there. Anybody <laughs> listening to the show now can... That's that's a fan. Go, oh, yeah. I'm gonna rent that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just Google it. It's there. Um, but you then yes, went. Yeah, to- there's a book out too about the screenplay. 
Oh, really? And, and that shot's in the book. Ah, ah okay. <laughs> That's, that sounds very interesting. But you also, back in 1970, you appeared in the Off-Way, Off-Broadway production of Steam Bath, which was directed by uh, Anthony Perkins. What was that like? <laughs> um, it, that everything I do has a story too. But but there, first of all, I love Tony Perkins. He's the most wonderful, gracious, lovely guy, and we became kind of friends. I saw him right before he died. He died of AIDS. Um, he was the kind of guy. My mother came to New York when he was doing that film about horses. Right. Um, you know where he cuts off the heads of the horses. Oh, Equus. Yes. Yes. It was one word. Um, but Equus? he got my mother. Uh, yes. Equus. Equus. And he got yeah. my mother, uh, you know, like orchestra seats and stuff. And that was way after the show. He was a wonderful man, but he always wanted to take over. He wanted to do the lead. And they went through three different actors. And they're paying them all pay and play, which, which means you pay them whether they do the show or not, right? Right. They went through three actors, um, Dick Sean, Rip Torn, and Charles Grodin. Charles just died. May he rest in peace. Um, and eventually he just ended up doing the part himself. Wow. Wow. But you had to you know, It was exciting. We just previewed forever because of all the actors that they, right. you know, and everybody thought we were going to Broadway. So they paid us Broadway money to do off Broadway. And it never went to never went to Broadway, ah. but it's famous. Yeah, no, absolutely no. It's still no. Like it was a great experience. I loved. It. I remember um, I was understudying the lead and doing a part um, in the show, and of course I took over the lead. Oh, there was a nude scene there too. <laughs> it was the seventies. Um, everybody was naked in the seventies. But I was so flat chested that someone in the audience said, gee, I thought I'd be embarrassed to see someone nude, but I didn't even know she was nude. <laughs> so I the whole thing, just... you know, it's a great, it was just a great experience. I, re- I really, I mean, I absolutely loved it. Right. Right. I'm sorry. You keep on saying how flat chested you are, but having watched a little bit of David Holtzman's diary, I'm not sure I agree with you, but I, you know, I, We'll I became on. a woman a couple <laughs> years ago. <laughs> now, obviously, after you did Steam Bath, you did the role for which I think most people uh, will know you for. You did the film, and that was William Friedkin's The Exorcist. How did that come about? Was this an audition? Yeah, you talk about theater. I did another play in New York called The Ontological Proof of My Existence, which means there is no proof. And it was a Joyce Carol Oates play that some people really know her. She always wrote about wrestling and boxing and fighters. And she was very well known at that period. Anyway, it was a prologue she wrote. And two agents came to see the show. And, uh, you know, people say, why do you do free theater? Why do you? Well, this is why. Two agents came to see the show, called me up the next day and asked me if I wanted to audition for a show called The Exorcist. And... Um, you know, they wanted someone small and strong that could act. So I did actually three auditions um, for the casting director. And then she said, 
when she said the first time, go back home, read the book, which I read, you know, in an hour. The book is even better than the film um, by Bill Blatty, mm. who we became friends with, who I became friends with. But we go there. So I did that, but I didn't know how a demon was supposed to sound. So I went to the library and I got all these books about wild animals because it was the closest I thought I could come. And I came home and I pulled all my shades. We had shades then. Pulled the shades down. We had radiators. Pulled the shades down. Lit candles. And just work going. <sighs> you know, any kind of animal things that I could think of. And I used that in, in the improv. I did two improvs for. And then I met uh, Billy Freakin and Dick Smith, the godfather of makeup, the mess best guy in the whole world did a screen went to dick's studio so he could do some light mess and did a screen test right right now so you wrote the script you got a part in the script and some but now there are some horror stories from that set of the exorcist what was william Freakin like to work with Next question. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. <laughs> he was, um, he, he was, we all felt he was difficult to work with, except for Ellen Burstyn until, like, I mean, this is a well-known story. They, they tied a rope around when, I, I suppose most people have seen the film. Mm. So when they come in and they see me um, for the first time and scream, and then she gets pushed, or the demon pushes her across the room and he tied a rope around her so they could grab her and she heard her back and she still talks about how it shouldn't have happened and how her back always hurt from that, that point on. He, he was, he was just difficult. He shot off guns. <laughs> um, that's that same scene. He shot off a gun, not at anybody. <laughs> But he shot off a gun, and the first time the gun went off, everybody went, what the fuck was that? What was that? And the second time it went off, for the second take, it was like, oh, what's that? The third time it was like, you know, kind of what's that? But he, he liked to do things like that. It's but, you know, he, um, he, he didn't direct me very much at all. So I, I was kind of left to my own devices. You were, I didn't make it clear earlier on, you were cast as Cap the character known as Captain Howd Howdy. No. No? no, the Captain Howdy, that was actually decided on the very last day of shooting, the very last day. And um, it came from a makeup test, and I, I totally regret. I had lunch with Dick Smith, and the woman who was taking care of him said, now, don't ask him any questions. He's, and he was. He was slipping into dementia. Don't ask him any questions because he'll get confused and da-da-da. And I listened to her, and I'm really sorry because I don't know how the idea for Captain Howdy came, whose idea it was to do use that make. It was obviously Dick's, but right. how he came up with that. And we shot that the very last day of shooting. And just a side story, I got cast in a commercial that day because they kept saying, oh, no, we're going to be done. Um, they actually took 14 months to shoot that movie from pre-production to post-production. You know how weird that is. Yeah. So come the faithful day, I'm supposed to do a commercial. And they went, 
you have to come in here. This is, you know, we'll report you to the Screen Actors Guild. And the commercial people said, no, you made a commitment to come here. We're going to report you. See, you can see my life is one big adventure, right? Uh, but I came up on top. Um, so um, I spoke to the commercial people. I don't know where my, and I said, hey, uh, how many spots are you shooting? And they said three. If I get out there in the afternoon, will that be okay? They said, yeah. I told the whole crew because they were lollygagging. They'd set up shots at, you know, at their own pace and stuff. But we did, we did all those shots in the morning. I think we did six different uh, takes. And they just went boom, boom, boom. Got out to the commercial and I did the commercial. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, nobody knew that, that, and you know why it's called Captain Howdy, right? No. Is playing with the Ouija board. And Ellen Burstyn goes, Who are you talking to? And she said, um, I'm talking to Captain Howdy. And that's how Captain Howdy's name became. Captain Howdy is supposed to, or also Pazuzu, which is the real name of the fallen angel. Right, right. So that's physic- Pazuzu. <laughs> yes, yes. Physic- it's for sale. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to that later. What was physically the hardest thing that you had to do on The Exorcist then? I guess when you're... The masturbation thing? No. <laughs> I, I'd accept that as an answer, but no, that was done to the stomach, to a, a, a bloody sponge. Um, <laughs> I never said that before. Chris would love that. Um, oh no, he would love that. He talks about that scene all the time. Um, yeah. Well, I guess the the most challenging was the vomit, the vomiting scene, because they they had to put an appliance on my mouth, both sides, which looked like a horse's bit. I had a little tiny hole in it. And then it went under the prosthetics and they literally pumped it from backstage. Um, And so what I had to do is, you know, as I felt the green pea soup coming, and it is green pea soup coming through, then to do that. But you couldn't talk. God forbid, I, I used to smoke cigarettes at the time. Um, so I couldn't smoke, I couldn't talk, I couldn't eat. Me not talking is tough. <laughs> so that was most physically demanding. Right, right. Because were you involved in the levitation scene at all, or was that? Oh, yeah, but that wasn't hard. Right. You know, we both did that. We both did the levitation. Right. Uh, I guess the other challenging thing was that the room was kept at um oh gosh sometimes five degrees four degrees it was really cold and because you can see everybody's breath coming out right right suits on we had nightgowns on and some days it was just so cold i can't do this today right (laughs) dear god i can't i can't do this but you did, it, you did it anyway. And that was challenging. But Max Van Side, I was so sweet because he was obviously near the bed and he was just so nice. And he said, I mean, anything you need is out. I mean, I wish I could do a Swedish accent, but, you know, if there's anything you need, we'll do it for you. And we're there for you and stuff like that. 
Oh, Max. Yes, I hear great things about Max von Sydow. May um, he rest in peace too. Just, just a great, yeah. great guy. Right, right. Now you mentioned you both were involved, and and obviously you're talking about Linda Blair. And sadly, you you've had a falling out with Linda. How did that happen? Um. Well. Um. You know, one of those things you do in life that you wish you hadn't done because <laughs> it has vast implications in your life. I was married to someone else at the time and Warner Brothers invited me to come out after the film um, just because everything was happening with the exorcist, I guess. And my instinct was not to go. You know, if we all live by our gut, just think how our lives would be and you know, I was venting a little. Nobody was giving me any credit, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I would have stayed. My ex-husband convinced me to go. When I got there, the gossip columnist at the time, um, Joyce Haber, actually, um, she had a friend who was in my acting class in New York. So they released the story that there was this girl in L.A. that was claiming to be in the film. And they didn't want that. Well, first of all, they wanted, they loved the publicity because it, it became who did what, when. And it was around Watergate for you American listeners. Uh, who did what, when? You know, I got my fame that I always wanted, but not in the way I wanted it. You know, when they say there's no such thing as bad publicity, I'm here to tell you, yes, there is. So that's what happened. And um, they just denied my existence. And because they wanted Linda to win the Oscar and the film to win the Oscar. And it, it was tough. I really, my the three agents were going to sign me. They dropped me because um, at that time you didn't fuck the studios. Um, you just didn't. Um, and I finally found a small boutique agent and um, uh, I started working again. Um, I did Planet of the Apes, the TV show. Right. Um, but no, it was, it was, it was just, Obviously, it it was really tough. Right, right. Because you got called in to see William Friedkin. Is that right? Yeah, they, they had a meeting. He walked into the room and he looked at me and he said, I mean, I was so excited. I was walking down the Warner Brothers lot. I mean, and all these actors have been there and famous people. And I was walking the streets that they walked on. I just had the sun was shining and I had this big smile on my face. I walked in. He walks out. And he goes, you're never going to work in this town again. And left. And the cloud, the sun went away and the clouds happened. I, I mean, I was devastated. I thought I wasn't going to work again. And the sad thing was that I didn't do anything wrong. And then the extras didn't win any Oscars. Number one, because horror films didn't win Oscars. Linda won the Golden Globe. But see, everybody in Hollywood knew Linda didn't do all that work, which which meant that I, was, besides Captain Howdy, I was made up to look like Reagan. So that's when I did all the fun scenes, the, the masturbation, the vomiting, the levitation, the death scene, all that stuff. So I did all of that, um, and I think they, they they you know they won an Oscar for Misery. Yeah. If if actors won Oscars. Malcolm McDowell would have won an Oscar for Clockwork Orange. Yes. Yeah. So that, that's what the thing is with Linda. And um, she was young. I mean, she was 12 years old. And somehow they convinced her that I did what I didn't do. 
she unfortunately won't do conventions with me because she thinks that cost her the Oscar. And if she had won the Oscar, she would have had the career. Yes, yes, yeah. That that is very very. Which sad. is silly because I mean, I know who won the Oscar last year. Who won the Oscar two years ago? But I was. They 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 ran one of my clips on the stage during Oscar night, so I figured I got my Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I and mean, it's not just yourself and Mercedes McCambridge who did the. Oh, the do you voice know? Work. Actually, it, this is a, a great piece of trivia. I promised I would listen, so stop me if I keep going too much. Um, this is a great piece of trivia that because it's my contention that Billy Freakin had come out and said there were actually six people that created the part of Reagan. And if they had come out and said that and said, look, it were geniuses, nobody knew. Everybody thought it was just one little girl. Look how great we are, that you had the lighting double, stunt double, um, um, the girl who did the spider walk, um, Mercedes McCambridge, Linda Blair, and myself. So they took six of us and made this one character out of it and nobody knew. And that's great filmmaking, but they they chose to want everybody to think Linda did all that work, including the masturbation scene. It's strange. And Gil Cates also said, Gil Cates was the president of the Academy and he hated The Exorcist. And he said, if The Exorcist wins the Oscar for best picture, I'm stepping down. <laughs> well, yes, but I also it talking about the six people who went who created the character of Reagan kind of it's still going on today in the way that stuntmen are really not acknowledged no. by the Oscars at all. No. You know, there is no Oscar for stuntmen. And yet if you you look at all the DVD extras, I just happen to be watching it on one of the Marvel ones, and Chris Evans is just pra praising his stunt double, um, the actor on The Mandalorian, explaining how you know there's three of them underneath the mask in The Mandalorian who have got got different skills. It's his voice comes in and out. Yeah, but you know the guy who specialises in doing all the kung fu stuff and the fighting stuff and the other stuff. Yeah, and this is how movies are made. We all know this. Um, well, yes. that's why I think Hollywood didn't like the idea of the, um, you know, like the wolf being pulled over their eyes. It was mm. kind of like, we know Linda didn't do that whole movie. Um, it didn't do that part. And so what? You know? Um, yeah. What What did you think of The Exorcist when you saw it? <laughs> um, I don't know. I saw it at a, at a screening. And... Um, it was good. It was good. We all liked it. The biggest scare I had was when they go into the attic and they find out that it's a rat. I, the whole place jumped. But, yeah, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, yeah. The film is still called the absolute scariest movie of all time, 40-something yeah. years later. Yeah. So, obviously, it works on several different levels. Yeah. Yeah, but... The, the interesting thing is I'd like to like differentiate to. between horror and thrillers. And because horror nowadays is just all blood and guts and 
you know, I, I read some scripts, you probably do, that all it is is people pulling people apart and dying in horrible ways, but there's no plot, there's no characters, there's no plot, there's no beginning, middle, and end. So I like to call things like um, The Exorcist a thriller, not horror, or Rosemary's Baby, or even the Halloween franchises, you know, or Friday the 13th. They all have people and characters mm. and plots and begin, you know, in most horror films and happy. But um, you know what I'm saying? Sure. Sure. Now, before we move on, is that, before we move on, is there anything else about the exorcist you think you'd like to say? Um, is there anything else you'd like to ask me? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm very, very grateful despite all the problems I had and, you know, that I did think my career was over. Um, I'm very, very grateful that I had the opportunity that I do horror conventions with you. Um, it, it's, it's totally, absolutely changed my life. So if, if the, I'd like to, I'd really, really like to make friends with Linda, but I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, I mean, bless her. I don't, I don't know what she's doing with her life. I know it's complicated. I do know it's complicated. Right. Right. Um, but she, they love her doing shows. So, and they won't use both of us. So it's a little bit of a thorn in my side that right. they'll, they'll use Linda instead of me. Right. Right. Aliens could come down and pick her up and take her away. <laughs> nice aliens. Nice. Oh yeah. No, I'm saying, well, don't wish her any harm. Just... Yeah. No, I do that with all people that I, I have disagree, vast disagreements with. Because you can't wish him dead. That's not no. nice or hurt or anything. So I just say aliens are going to come down, take him in a spaceship and just take him away for a while. <laughs> I, lo- I love that. I, I like that idea because, you know, I always feel guilty when I think, I really just wish that person just... What? I'm sorry? I, I, there are times there are people who you just think, I really don't like that person, I, you know, a politician, whoever it is, and you just think, yeah. And you think, no, I can't wish them dead. That's ridiculous. That's terrible. Okay. But, yeah, I like the idea of nice aliens taking people away. Um that would be a really popular, busy service, wouldn't it? If that was true, that you had. Uh, yeah, well, I, I mean, in my long life, um, there's probably only about three people. That's not bad. No, no, no. That, that's really good. That's very, very good. <laughs> that, but, I mean, that, that I really, really, you know, don't want in my life. And no. That, that have really hurt me. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned earlier on that you, despite William Friedkin and all the controversy, you did go on. You had a very good career. Um, one of the things that you did was General Hospital. What was? How did you get into General Hospital? Um, it was really not nice. I did audition for that, but um, after I decided I had to find work for myself when I was in California choosing not to go back home, um, got divorced <laughs> from the idiot. Um, I didn't know you couldn't walk on a lot. So I walked on the 20th Century Fox lot. I mean, you couldn't do it now. Uh, I walked on the lot and I walked into Marvin Page's office and he was casting uh, the aforementioned Planet of the Apes. Right. And I said, I want to be an ape. 
And he went, okay, uh, why don't you read for me? And so I read for him and they cast me. And then I did the same thing with a kid's show called um, Korg 70,000 BC, which was Neanderthal people. I just walked into the office and did that. Um, so that's what I did. And Marvin Page, he <laughs> called me up and asked me to audition for it. And I did. And of all, I mean, I, I like every show I did. I, I like the last show I did in Cincinnati. <laughs> Uh, that I just came back from. I had a great time doing that. Um, uh, Cicadas. Have you ever heard of the Cicada? The bug? No, no, they come no, out yeah, only, no, yeah. yeah, 17 yeah. years. So I went up there during the 17th year. <laughs> they're extremely, they're amazing. But I like everything that I ever did. But General Hospital was really special because I played a character in a mental hospital. Um, you see a pattern here? Um but um, she carried a doll around with a gun in its head because she felt she was responsible for killing her best friend and decided that if she didn't grow up, she wouldn't have to be responsible. And so that was my whole character, you know, being like 17. And I always look very, very young, like now. <laughs> um, but it was so wonderful because um, I insisted not to get um, you know, um, uh, uh, soap opera makeup. And I just wanted, you know, real simple because I said she's in a mental hospital. So subsequently people all over the country were able to write me and say, um, you know, we really love you because we can relate to you because you don't wear any makeup and were you really in a mental hospital? <laughs> so I, I felt like I was really, without sounding corny or something, I felt like I was really giving something back. And at that time, we didn't do conventions. Um, and we signed autographs for free, or I did a lot of shows that were for charity or stuff like that. And I just really felt that was, not only was the work every day just incredible, because the writers loved writing for my character. And she was always getting into something or not, and... You know, her roommate would just leave her and she goes, but, but Heather, do you love me? You know, uh, I need you to be my friend. But every day I came into work, I had great, great stuff to do. And so, again, I was extremely grateful for that. I loved it all from, it's a lot of work, as you might know, doing mm. so. Sometimes I had 30 pages of dialogue a night to learn. Um, but they write for you, so it becomes part of you and your character of what to say. So it becomes rather easy to learn the lines, but it's, it's doing soap operas. People always said, or they say, Oh, it's a great training round. No, it's not. <laughs> you better damn well know what you're doing when you get cast because it's quick. You know, they have, you know, a blocking rehearsal, a dress rehearsal, and then you're on. So you better know what you're doing. Right, right. That's very interesting. How long did you do General Hospital for? A couple of years. And then the writers all left. And um, it's one of those things. Because, I, I mean, I would do General Hospital now. Um, but the writers all left in a contract dispute. And they loved the character. And Gloria Monte, may she rest in peace, uh, didn't care about the character at all. So that's what happened. Right. Right, right. But um, I know that you met Sally Field at one stage. 
Yeah, well, Southfield, of course, was my ma my idol growing up because we were the same size. I don't know if she was five two, but, um, <laughs> but we were we about the same size, about five foot one ish. And I just loved her from the time she did the Flying Nun. She did a movie of the week called um, um, How did it just go out of my head? Um, I'll forgive it in a second. Oh, she played six. Oh, Sybil. She played six different characters. Um, and I just followed her career always. I still do. Um, so we went to see a show at the Greek that Cher was uh, performing. You know, we were guests. And we went to a VIP party and Sally Field was there. And we were, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. And, I mean, you can imagine, right? And so I said... I've never done this in my life, but I have to walk up to her and tell her how much I love her work. As I got up there, Sally Field looks at me and she goes, oh, my God, you played Sarah on General Hospital. I watched you all the time when, you know, um, I think when I was bringing my kids up, you were fabulous. Well, <laughs> my chin absolutely dropped to the floor. I didn't know what to say. It was kind of like, uh, uh. <laughs> so that's my, of course, I probably said something like, I love you too, but um, yeah, that was my experience. Wow. 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 That, that, that's so new. That is very, very cool. Now, Brick, you were talking about recent projects and that one um, project I know that, again, kind of unfortunate in that you were cast as Winnie Gilmore in Rob Zombie's Halloween <laughs> 2. And I know from how this feels from personal experience as well. Um, you ended up on the cutting room floor originally. It's, what happened there? You're gonna have to ask Rob Zombie. <laughs> I asked him, and he said, Oh, that wasn't me, that was the Weinsteins. Ah. So, may he rotten. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's what he said. I don't know why. It's a very, very funny little clip. That at the beginning of the movie. It's really funny. And the film could use some humor. And um, I, I really don't know. I, I see Michael Myers going through my garbage. And I call SpongeBob. I said, there's somebody going through my garbage. And very sweet and nice. And like Winnie Gilmore sounds like. And he goes, yeah, yeah, right. There's someone going through your garbage. Yeah, hairy somebody. And I said, no, no, no. Is someone really hairy. And big going through my garb, and they said, "Oh, you know, <laughs> is it Bigfoot?" And they're just making fun of me. And um, they say it's a rabbit. So Winnie suddenly gets really mad <laughs> and goes, "It ain't no goddamn rabbit," you know. Anyway, they cut it. It's in the deleted scenes. If you guys uh, want to see the movie, right. um, it and it, 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 you know, Nick, it's happened to you, right? It's just yeah. they did it with Constantine too where I played a zombie, uh, best makeup you've ever seen. And, but that was because they shot it for the credits, the opening credits, and they didn't have any opening credits. Uh, uh, right, right. Well, you mentioned conventions. You mentioned a couple of times before. That's where I met you, and then I met you over at Chris's house. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We're, We're talking about Chris Rowe, guys, with my and Nick's esteemed manager, and friend, how long how long have you known Chris Rowe? Twenty years. 
<laughs> it's still lasting. Yeah. Now, I've known him for 20 years. I helped to bring up his kids. Yeah. And oh, they're great he, kids. He was always working all the time and, you know, obviously flying places, going to comms. And so I picked up his kids from school and I don't have any kids. So they served a definite purpose in my life. And I'd pick them up and I'd feed them dinner or buy them dinner or whatever. I remember because once I said, oh, my God. How do parents figure out different things to feed their kids every night? This is really challenging. <laughs> the first time I picked up the kids at school and one of the kids was 10, the other one was eight. And I felt so good. I don't know. It was so like, I just, it was something I'd never done before. So yeah, I've known Chris for 20 years. Wow. Um, we, I said, we talk about your book, Exercising Your Demons. And then we can talk about your book. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not, no, let's make it. We're coming up to the hour, and I want to make sure we do the luggage and the crypt questions as well. Your book, which you happen to have behind you, I just happen to have it sitting there. <laughs> and um, I mean, I've told so many stories from, but there's a wonderful story when people ask me if bad things happen on the set and stuff like that. I got a great story in here about something that happened, right? That um, just happened with me. And you can actually find, this is going to be a real tease. If you read the book and you watch the movie again, you'll find what I'm talking about. Right. Uh, that was a coffin. Oh, no. Yeah, I just did a film. They had little fangs. Oh, right. You know, little coffins. So they, um, they, I just used fangs in two films. Right. Um, they, um, they gave me the coffin. But anyway, um, yeah. Right. So okay. uh, that's my, that's my book. The whole beginning of it, the whole first part of it, is something I totally believe in. That actors, athletes, people, a lot of people, that you need is a very strong support system in your life. You need somebody who'll say no. I right. need someone who would say, "Don't go to California now." Right. You needed Chris. Yeah. But Chris is like four years old, <laughs> if he was born yet. <laughs> Malcolm says the same thing. Malcolm McDowell. Right. Oh, Chris, if you were my manager, then and when I first came up, my whole life would have been different. And mine would have been totally different. Yeah. Um, but so the first, I didn't have a support system. So I just went ahead and made my own mistakes. So the first part of that, and it's about dreams. Yeah. I, you've got to follow your dreams, you know. And everybody in the world is going to try and take them away. You can't be an actress. You're too little. You're too funny looking. You're too, and besides, when I came up, you know, it was, they skipped a generation like with Twiggy, but they were still with Jane Mansfield and, and Bridget Bardot, these really big, sexy women. And everybody said, you can't be an actress. You, so you can't let negativity rule your life. You just have to go right. ahead and do what you want. And you can talk about it if you want, if you don't. So that's the first part of the book. The second yeah. part of the book is some of the stories I told you, how, um, what I did to become an actress and, found myself in, um, you know, the scariest movie of all time. So there's other stories. And then I get into the total auditions, screen tests, meeting Ms. Blair and her mother and the first day on the set. And I try and concentrate on really funny stuff because people have heard a lot about the scary stuff. So I got a lot of funny stories in there of right. things that happen on the set. So that that's what the kind of... I don't know if it's a how-to book about how to be an actress, but I know it's a how-to book about what not to do. 
And the most important thing is to follow your dream. If it's an actor, director, producer, wardrobe person, makeup person, mom that just wants to have a lot of kids or um, a shopkeeper, whatever your dream is, is don't let anybody uh, deter you for it and just right. do it. And um, it just got cloudy in here. L.A. is very strange weather lately. There, right. got light again. Um, <laughs> I mean, on this end. So right. that's basically what the book is about. And right, right. I have the Pazuzu statues. I have the script. Um, you know, I have Captain Howdy's green pea soup um, and um, a whole lot of stuff. So right. um, it's a fun book. And what I always say, the easiest way to get the book or any of the stuff behind me um, is to um, um, send me a private message on Facebook. Right. And I'll tell you how much it costs and what the details are and, and, right. and stuff like that. But um, what's the next holiday coming up? Oh, uh, Halloween. Day. I guess Halloween. I guess. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, like, Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. Good time to get. Yeah. I did yeah. sell about four statues for Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> I think four statues, a book, and you know, I always do eight by ten. So, do you have time to tell tell the audience about your book? Well, such a long time ago since I did my book, What Monsters? And your one man show. I'm a one man show. I am monsters. Um, I'm going to tell you what I will. I've, I've, funnily enough, I've just done a podcast this evening. Uh, before I interviewed you, I was being, I was on the other side of the camera and um, being on interview for a podcast and was talking about I Am Monsters a lot there. And people can go to my website to find out more about I Am Monsters. But I would like to ask you about luggage in the crypt questions to end this evening. Um, so basically the idea is that you are an Egyptian princess. Queen, wasn't it, princess, an Egyptian queen. And they've built you this wonderful, wonderful pyramid. Um, but they've got to decide what you, or you have got to decide what you would take with you into eternity. What film would you take with you? I mean, taking the tomb? Yeah. Or the pyramid? Yeah. What film would you have with you? All of them. <laughs> Say again? Can I take all of them? You could t no, you've got to choose one. You've got to narrow it down a bit. Um, Favorite film, basically. Why is it so hard? Because it, it depends. You do this too. Different films have yeah. a deep love in your heart for different reasons. I mean, I yes. have to say The Exorcist because what it's done for my life and how it changed my life. And right. You know, I mean, I wouldn't even know Chris. Um, that so it would have to be The Exorcist. But like, I love shooting Helter Skelter, which is a story about the Manson. Right. And that did something else. And we talked about General Hospital. And I've right. actually shot seven indie films since July. Wow. And um, I love them all because you know the the thing about doing indie films as opposed to studio films. Um, you could pay a lot less money, but you get these great parts to play, mm. you know, yeah. from vampires, zombies, victims. I like playing victims too. Uh, coming up. Right. Um, right. Okay. All right. That That's, 
perfectly acceptable answer. I mean, that's a, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's like having a bunch of kids. You want me to pick a favorite? <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about a favorite book? I want to say my, my older sister writes books, and she's written 18 comedy mysteries. Um, the first one was Throw Darts at a Cheesecake, and it was about a Weight Watchers group that they all uh, start getting killed when they reach their goal weight. <laughs> and she had a bunch of nuns in there, and um, no one will remember Lulu and Tubby. They were comic book characters. So I have to give my sister a pitch. She right. All her books are comedy mystery. She, she writes a lot of historical novels, um, like the, how the film industry started in Colorado, actually. Right. Um, but there's always a mystery involved in this puns. Her name is Denise Dietz, if you ever want to look her up. Denise so, Dietz. But as far as me reading books, um, I guess the Anne Rice books, the um, Wishing Hour is a fabulous Right. Book. But the wish, the witching hour is absolutely the best. Ah, one that okay. um, you know, the vampire Lestat, everybody knows about. But the witching hour becomes really romantic, involved with these two people. So oh. without without taking the time to think about other books that I read, that um, right. I, I do, I do love Anne Rice. Right. What about Which, listening to music? What about an album? I'm stuck in the '60s. I think that's the day the music died. Right. So um, the the Beatles will always be my favorite. Right. Uh, um, whichever album. I think they came from another planet, like Einstein. They they, they came from another another place. And but um, yeah, you know, I grew up with the Beatles, the Doors, Jimi Hendrix, uh, the Mamas and Papas, um, people like that. But I do love Leonard Cohen. Ah. So I I do. And I, I always like the, the chicks, the Dixie chicks. And, of course, Bohemian Rhapsody. So I like Queen. So there are right. some people after the 60s. But <laughs> I don't think they'll ever have music again. Who's your favorite? I listen to an awful lot of film scores. Um, and I think recently uh, Greatest Showman. Uh, absolutely inspiring film. And oh, I think great... so too. I, I love that film. Say again. I said I love that film as well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's. I think that's what I've been listening to a lot this afternoon. It was James Bond. I was listening to the James Bond themes. <laughs> James Bond's got to be inspiring. Come on, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Craig and I were hanging curtains the other evening and listening to James Bond, and we suddenly realized because it was just the instrumental versions, but we knew all the lyrics. We were singing along to From Russia oh, Love and fine. so on. Yeah. How yeah, is Craig so, doing? Doing good? He's doing very well. He's doing very well. He's downstairs. I think he's finished. How long have you guys been together? Forever? 20 years. 20, wow. over, 20, over 20 years now. Over that is a years. long time. Congratulations. A, thank you very much. <laughs> now, but back to you. What about a favorite food? Thai food. Ah, I love Thai food. I can eat Thai food every night of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Pad Thai is my favorite. Yeah. We've, yes. And yeah. now I've been told I need to go on no carbohydrates, oh. you know, turkey, yes. chicken, <laughs> vegetables, <laughs> fruit. 
But you can cheat. Yeah. What's your favorite food? Um, unfortunately, all the ones I now have to deny myself because I'm losing weight and I'd, I've been very assiduously counting calories and then realizing I'd completely miscalculated the amount of rice I was eating <laughs> by like a thousand calories a day. And I think that's why I'm not losing weight. A thousand no, calories a day you're doing? Uh, no, I'm on a thousand seven hundred, but I, I was thinking I was having about three or four hundred calories of rice. I was actually having about eight or nine hundred calories of rice. I got it. I got the decimal place wrong. I, I got it so wrong. But yeah. Well, you look great. I mean, how long are you going to do this? I mean, do you oh, have well, cheat days? I've, I've probably through until about September, October. I, 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 I want. It's just I'm carrying too much weight at the moment, so I, I want. Not right now, you are. You look great. Yeah, but you, that's because you can't see from there downwards. It's all sitting around <laughs> my waist at the moment, which is not good for men. It's not good for the heart, etc. Anyway, no. come I back always to like you. to say I've been on a diet since I was seventeen. Seriously, <laughs> really, I've been on a diet since I was seventeen because I wanted to be an actress since you know well, right. since seven. But once I really went out there to become an actress, um, I've been on a diet from then up till now. You know, sometimes I drive Chris crazy. Went out to dinner with us, and you know, so well, I just want I want bread and salad, right? <laughs> right. Like, right. Um, right, 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 yeah. Right. What about a piece of visual art, Eileen? If I ask you for a, a painting or a statue, um, I love statues, it's my favorite form of art, is statues that you right. hold. So, I, I think I'd have to say. Not the David statue, but the mother. I think it's mother and child, um, where they're cradling. But certainly the David statue too. Yeah, the La Pieta, the one of uh, the um, Michelangelo Pieta, where yeah. she's holding the Christ. Yes, yeah. another one you mean? Yes, yeah. I, uh, absolutely. But I really, I really like statues. They're, they're doing a Van Gogh, Van Gogh, <laughs> a Van Gogh exhibit here. Right. That. Um, They've already uh, extended it. it. It's so popular that right. they've already extended it. So I've, I've never seen, I'm not sure, to see that kind of art in person. Right. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary experience. Yeah. So I guess Thomas and I will find our way to go see, go see the exhibit. Right, right, right. Nobody's ever answered me those questions before. That's really cool. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, well, the last one is a luxury. What do you have to, you know, a little bit of a treat for yourself. What luxury would you miss or would you take with you? I don't know if I can take it with me. <laughs> My, Thomas, who I've been with forever, um, we have two passions, which is boating forward slash camping. And we have a little boat. Right. We take it out to the coves of Lake Mojave, and which is so simply beautiful. And there's nobody there. And there's nobody there more now because they're not renting houseboats anymore. I don't right. know what's happening. Or gas is so expensive. But there are nights that just us in right. the middle of the lake. Um we count shooting stars. <laughs> we get really competitive. It's kind of like, look, look, look. And the other person goes, where, where? I didn't see it. I didn't, Damn. So uh, that's what, I mean, and we're going to go around. We never go during the holidays except July 4th. I know you don't recognize it. Uh, but um, so we, we're going to be going 
uh, in a couple weeks. People say, what do you do? Nothing. <laughs> we don't do anything. We just sit there and enjoy the water and the view and the, and the beauty. Right. And right. then we're passionate degenerate football gamblers. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, so the, you can't take either one of them with you unless you well, take a bet. I, I, we can arrange that your pyramid is so big it sits over. Can the I lake. take my boat with me? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a little thirteen foot boat. <laughs> what What is yours? What would you take with you? I always dread being asked these questions. Yeah, because my instinctive would be, "Can I take Craig?" Um, but that seems really rather mean. Um, it would be a library. It would just, you wanted to take every phone with you. It would probably just be, even just my library, because I know there are books here that I get, I really want to read and that I've never had the chance. So mine would be an infinite library where I could just sit down and spend years. Wow, that's so stuff. cool. Yeah. Because I, I never read anymore. I, well, actually... I, I, yeah, I tend to read the same. You know, I tend to read the same books because I tend to read to go to sleep at night. So I want something which is actually turning my brain off rather than trying to make me think. And I kind of think that's not why I used to read when originally. But anyway, listen, we're at well over our hour. And well, I have to ask you one question. Sure. What's behind you? Um. Oh, it's the clock. Um. This is the clock. Why? Well, I know it's the clock. <laughs> Ooh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the chattering hour clock, which is now green for this series. It was red in previous ones. So basically, I'm sorry, I, what is that? What is it's, it? It's, a, it's, a, it's the image that I use to promote the chattering hour. So I've got it on a green screen behind me. Oh. So it's a green screen, basically. In the previous two series it was red this series it's green just because. i like green yeah and do you love i know you have to go do you love doing the chattering hour because it sounds I like you were born to do it <laughs> of course i love it i like you i'm just very grateful and I, chris is getting a lot of mentions in this show and it was chris's idea i'm so grateful to him for thinking of this, I get to talk to people and I get to talk to people like yourself who are heroes of mine because I, you know, your work and your attitude and your, you know, what you've achieved. So yes, I, I really do love it. Absolutely. You're certainly good. I mean, if I had to go to central casting and cast someone like you, you know, I I mean, you would definitely be at the head of the list. You ask good questions. You listen beautifully. And you're you got great humor and your eyes twinkle. <laughs> oh, you are just lovely. Lovely. Listen, I need to go. Well, we've known each other a long time. Well, we have too, known each know. other a long time. You know, and seeing each other in different experiences. I, yeah, I always yeah. remember you being at Chris's house when I think of you. I don't know why. I just think of you well, that we had one a lovely time meal. You, we, we, you came over and we had a lovely meal together in the back garden with the kids and uh, and Chris and the kids, the boys. The you haven't been men. in the new house, have you? Yes. No, I have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah? And that, it's amazing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. The backyard is just so yeah. incredible. But yeah. I live in a monastery, an old monastery. So. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. We'll wow. save that for a different uh, we'll save that for a different time. We'll different do it through the keyhole. and, and uh, Or if you read my book, you'll find out about it. 
Eileen, thank you very much indeed. And um, hopefully you'll see you soon. And I hope so too, now that everything's opening up. I yes. hope to see you very, very soon. My thanks again to Eileen Dietz. And now you know how that shot was done in The Exorcist. Join me next week on The Chattering Hour for some more fascinating stories from the world of horror, thriller, and suspense. And in the meantime, stay safe and well. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe, with production support from Amanda Rome West. Composer Kevin McLeod, copyright Tea Time Productions. <laughs>